Hello there, and welcome to the Adapting to Change podcast, creative, curious, and challenging conversations with me, Tim H.J. Rogers. Today I am talking with Matt Feller, whose strapline is placing the power of good advice in more hands. Matt is somebody who's worth listening to. He's the CEO of Evelyn Partners. He's the founder of Man Cub and a speaker on mental health. He's very active in the community and has really quite deep thoughts and reflections on business, life, mental health and well-being. So, without further ado, myself and Matt Faller. What do you reflect on and where do you get your renewal? I think I'm I'm continually reflecting. I mean, I think if we look at you know how I how my life has developed over the last you know five years is is a reflection on I would never have seen this version of me existing in at this time five years ago. So it's a reflection on how I often reflect on on what I'm doing and whether I'm doing too much mm-hmm. uh, that which I've now come to realise is not so much a function of my to-do list it's a function of how i look after myself to enable myself to fulfill the things that i'm doing so there is a continual reflection on do i need to be doing that is that the thing i should be doing actually you know and and quite a lot of the stuff that i am doing i'm passionate about so it doesn't actually take any effort Mm -hmm. that's i think the beauty of passion is it's they're the easiest things in the world to to actually do because that they resonate and therefore you end up doing them, which is why I end up in in multiple different lanes, uh, as it were, from Man Club through to Evelyn Partners, you know, through mushrooms into the rural economy and 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 everywhere else it seems to a degree in between. So yeah, it's reflection for me is is how how I find myself in a place that I could never have imagined, and therefore looking forward, you know, it's almost not pointless to imagine where I will be in 12 months time but I know it's going to be incredibly different to to now and incredibly different to how I might have imagined it anyway. And you are a pretty busy person and you've got lots of interests I mean what's the difference between being busy and really loving it as clearly you do from what you've said And this busyness that we have today where actually everyone's all about productivity, knocking it out of the park, doing more with less, um, which at times to me actually feels a little bit oppressive. And yet you're incredibly busy, but you're thriving. What's the difference? I think there are certainly times when I don't thrive. And, you know, I'm fairly open about mental health and my mental health has not been great in the last few weeks. You know, I'm probably... You know, historically over the last four years, I've averaged an eight. You know, last week I was down to a four, now I'm a six. You know, I mean, and and that has come to the fact that actually, if if you look at most of most of our diaries, most of our to do list is the equivalent of running. You know, we're, we're running marathons all the time, and that's absolutely achievable normally if you look after yourself. But you wouldn't run a marathon and you know 
drink 10 pints of lager the day before. So I think if you look at how our lifestyle at times can counteract that, I've realized that any anxiety, depression I, I end up getting is more as a result of what I put into myself and the things that are happening to me outside of that. You know, I think busyness has become, you know, a bit of a badge of honor mm. in our in our life. You know, it's it's either a badge of honor or a deflection. How are you? I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy, 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 busy. And you're like, well, actually, there's not much room for this conversation in, in that, really. I, I don't look at what I'm doing as, as particularly busy. There are things that, that are going on that most of the time are, are nicely boxed off in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can pick them up and I can do them and and they don't tend to merge. When I don't look after myself, it's when they tend to, the boxes all tend to open at once and fall on the floor and get muddled up. So I think, and again, it comes back to passion. If there are things that you're passionate about, A, I, I firmly believe no one forces us really most off in life to do the things that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that we fill our days with. Nobody forces you to to spend time looking at social media and scrolling through and, you know, mm-hmm. pictures of cats falling over. That's that's a choice. So. A lot of the stuff is a, is a choice, and mm-hmm. I'm a massive advocate, actually, of leaving myself as little time as possible, uh, because actually, you know, it's like the day before you go on holiday, you know, you've, you've got a finite amount of time to do your work. It's amazing how productive you can be in that final day before holiday, because there is no work tomorrow mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people. And I think that's where actually now a lot of what has happened in, in, in life has created more time for us you know the technological advances that we see in life transport links you know everything has created more time reality is we filled it with quite a bit of fluff at times mm-hmm. so yeah actually creating less time for yourself less time to do things more time for yourself and things that are beneficial to you actually makes me more productive used to be a triathlete and an enthusiastic rower and certainly getting out and doing exercise is really important to my mental health if I get grumpy or stressed out you know go for a run go for a row is actually really good way of uh, just reconnecting with nature a lot of the time Mm. rather than actually the physical exertion but yeah I enjoy the physical exertion of it but then the challenge is of course you've got to schedule time for that and so then you're you know, you're mindfully trying to eat sensibly, do exercise, create new opportunities. The workload actually goes up compared to if you sort of sat there on the sofa with a bottle of wine and watching telly. It's it's, mm. it's, uh, it's less work to do that. So I think it's an effort to kind of stay on top of things. And when I coach people in a rowing context, it's very different from business because when rowing you can sit there and say right I have 16 24 weeks to win a medal and I'm going to set aside everything for 24 weeks and that's what I'm going to do and of course if you're an Olympic rowing it'd be four years okay and so you have a very narrow focus on a specific goal and everything takes second priority but of course, you know, those people who are not selfish athletes, they've got a job, friends, colleagues, um, family, work obligations, community obligations. So 
you know, what's your experience in managing all these different priorities? Because you've obviously got a lot of stuff that you do for yourself and you enjoy your life and you throw. But you're, you're massively connected in the community. How do you manage all those other things? I think, again, it comes back to that, that the function of less time means less fluff. The, the important things tend to sort of rise to the surface and will, and will be dealt with. You know, it, it is very, uh, I love the phrase of a busy fool, you know, mm -hmm. someone who's, who's running around. In, in a work context, it's amazing how if you let a few things drop, how the important things actually do rise to the surface and end up being focused. And, and arguably, strategy, as I've learned in the last few years, is not so much what you do do, it's what you don't do. Mm. So actually, I think in a work context, giving myself less time to do things means that the things that probably aren't as important in achieving whatever you're looking to achieve drop away and you end up focusing on things that actually really are important. I think, you know, it. we, we do tend to, I think probably the last few years has given us a bit of a gift post in a post-COVID world of, you know, hopefully with most managers realising that just because someone's bums on a seat and they, they clock in at nine and they leave at five doesn't mean they're actually productive and there are there are better ways of making sure people live a, a more fulsome life that create more productivity in the in the workplace. So I think maybe the ability that it doesn't matter. This morning, I dropped my, my son at school. I took the dog for a walk on the beach. Um, I end up doing a couple of calls. I'm in the office at 11.30. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean I'm not productive because I wasn't here at nine. It just means that I look at productivity in, now in a different way in terms of what I do. Um, and I think selfishness as well from a personal level has to be seen as a positive thing and no longer negative. Putting yourself first, looking after yourself, making sure that you are you can be the best version of you to do the jobs is, is really, I think, pretty fundamental for how we're now living. I have mixed views on this. I, I saw uh, a post on LinkedIn that talked about, you know, the importance of a good strategy. And there is no denying knowing where you're going is quite useful to getting there. But actually traveling <laughs> is actually forward movement. And if I use my rowing metaphor, we can stare and point at the boat for hours, but realistically get in and row is the best way to get to the finishing line. Um, so what's your view on this your strategy versus execution, that constant planning and thinking versus doing? Because life really is, for me, a participation sport, although I and I suspect you a bit of a thinker as well. Somebody who's constantly strategizing or reflecting or analyzing. So, so how do you get that strategy execution balance in your life and in your work? You're a CEO of a very successful organization. I think it's strategies can become far too defined, I think, in what the end product is. I mean, as an example, let's, let's look at the fact that as an island, we have a strategy to deliver the bestest ever hospital that ever existed known to man in, in our island. And we've become very anchored to that. Where actually, I believe our strategy should be making the population as healthy as possible. So we don't need the biggest, bestest hospital that we're never going to be able to afford. So I think for me, strategy is setting a, a, a more achievable end goal, quite simply that we want this business that I'm sitting in right now to be 
bigger than it is mm -hmm. you know to be more profitable than it is to have more assets under management than it is um and then in a lot of ways strategy is a continual reevaluation of what you're doing to make sure that it aligns with that end goal that you're not continually doing things that you've always done because they're nice and comfortable and we we like doing that if they don't actually match that end goal and again that busy fool you can you can be very very busy doing things that actually in the great scheme of things don't match to that end overarching strategic goal of just being bigger better fitter stronger whatever it it might be so i think it's for me everything is is, a, is an opportunity you know if we recently have pitched to someone and we we haven't won that mandate why you know were we not prepared was our documentation not correct did we go in half cocked did the is it just that, that person didn't like the individuals presenting you know there is always opportunities to sit back revisit and 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 ask yourself why something didn't work mm -hmm. i also love although i've never been able to actually deploy it the sort of concept of, of a pre-mortem mm -hmm. you sort of sit there with something and you imagine all the reasons it went wrong and trying to to do that but you know, a lot of the times in, in business, especially a business like ours, you, you're fixing the bike while riding it. You're mm. trying to adjust uh, whatever you're doing to hit an end goal, but not break mm -hmm. the business that you're actually managing at the same time. So, yeah, you know, a lot of these answers can seem a bit woolly, but I suppose it's it really does come down to that just continual analysis, but having a really easy to, to quantify end goal. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and I agree with you, but I'm going to challenge it a little bit. Okay. Because I think for businesses in particular, where you can define your products and services and you can select and recruit your staff and you can be very laser focused on about what you're going to achieve. And I compare that perhaps to the rowing where you know what your goals are, you set your targets, you select your team and your boat and away you go. But actually, if we look at, the much broader social economic issues and we could try and open up a huge conversation like climate change but i'm not sure we're necessarily going to do that but let's just take a very small version of that and talk about for example the jersey economy the jersey economy is much more than one business it's many businesses with potentially competing interests if we take for example tourism and hospitality You'll have half of you will say, well, we want a higher volume of people turning up because we sell tickets at £10 a ticket. And if more people turn up, it's great. And another bunch are saying, well, actually, what we're really driving for is value. Because if instead of spending £50 in my restaurant or hotel, you spend £1,000 in my restaurant or hotel, then I make more profit. And actually, my overheads in terms of staffing and facilities and sustainability, et cetera, et cetera, is... It's far better, of course. Now, when you have an island of so many competing interests, you know, 35,000 households, sort of like 12,000 businesses, what, what's your view on strategy and execution? You know, if you were a politician trying to create consensus, okay, how would you approach strategy and execution in that context? I think it, it it probably starts, undoubtedly starts with a vision that I don't think has been articulated to this point. I mean, if, let's let's look at some arees which I think in in a lot of ways, countries that are 
quite rightly lambasted for their human rights issues, but in terms of their execution, a, a, a Dubai, which 50 years ago was a trading port in a desert and now is, you know, a, a significant tourist destination, uh, finance destination, you know, on, on multiple levels. And that started with a vision of what that wanted to be. I don't think it, at, at any point Jersey has really sort of looked forward and gone, right, where do we want to be in, in 30, 40 years? What do we want the economy to look like in that time? And what can we do today that actually is aligned to that? You know, mm -hmm. For example, you know, it, I think it's fantastic to see the future economic strategy come out of government from De Deputy Morrell. Um, but actually, that can that should be defining exactly what industries, you know, we want to be what areas we want to be in, what we do we want to support now? Do we want an island where agriculture doesn't exist anymore? Do we not want this to be a tourism destination? And then building back from that to what can we do today to actually make that a reality? So I, I think and I'm not sure I agree that there are competing interests in, in our island. I think that there is a there's probably a, a, a large number of businesses that existed in a world that, that doesn't exist that much anymore, mm. where we were attracting tourists by the bucket load because Jersey was a bit foreign mm. and it was a bit exciting and it was easy to get to. And I don't think that world exists anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the world that does exist is one where Jersey is relatively easy to get to for a short break. Mm -hmm. It maybe could be a place where people come to, to work from home or but not home for a period. It's a place where actually for those more eco- tourist conscious they can travel somewhere relatively close have amazing food walk do some amazing activities stay in very nice hotels and go back again so i think there is still an identity crisis in the island as to where where tourism will be where agriculture will be um and i think that, uh, you know i'm a very firm believer that government shouldn't be there to to drive that forward you know that's the that's the private businesses, the capital exists within those, what government shouldn't do, which is great to see the barriers to business report come out mm. very recently, but what government shouldn't do is stand in the way of that through red tape. Thank you for listening to the Adapting to Change podcast, creative, curious, and challenging conversations. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is a new series, but we have some great speakers already lined up possibly as much as 100 hours of recordings and maybe 60 podcasts. So please do follow me, Tim H.J. Rogers, on LinkedIn and subscribe to Adapting to Change podcast, creative, curious and challenging conversations. Thank you.